How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. Welcome back to Locked on Box, presented by BrewHoop.com. Once again, I'm Frank Madden, being joined by Mr. Dan Sinclair, also of BrewHoop.com. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, having me on again. So Dan and I are recording our second podcast here on Sunday night, and we're doing some more questions from listeners. So we're just going to jump in. Um, we got kind of a broad broad mix of questions, um, and we had some some interesting ones last time, and um, I thought we... Uh, we would just kind of keep keep running with these things, and and hopefully they're uh, they're kind of interesting. So let's start off with one that that might be a, qu- a quick one. Uh, the Bucks fans asked, "Does Jabari fit with the Bucks?" Please say yes. He said that, not me. He, he he wants us to say yes. So so Dan, can can you make him happy and say, or or her, can you make them happy and say that yes, Jabari does fit with the Bucks, or what do you think? I can uh, gladly say yes. Um, yes, Jabari fits with the Bucks. I mean, it's a it's a it's a question that um, asks a little bit more specificity than I think is really requ- required. I mean, Jabari is a talented player who has some flaws right now, but sort of promises to get better, and that's a that's a, the kind of player who can fit with uh, with pretty much any team. Yeah, I think the, in- the the important thing is that I believe Chris Middleton and Giannis Adetokounmpo fit with Jabari because I think those guys fit with lots of different types of players. And so I think the important thing is that the other two key guys that we always talk about with Jabari can fit with him. And obviously everybody always talks about the three-point shooting of Jabari and Giannis and are they ever going to be good enough you know, to space the floor, blah, blah, blah. But I think that stuff is a little overrated. I mean, we've cited the stats after the All-Star break last year. I mean, they scored tons of points with Giannis at the point, Jabari playing with him. You know, I, I just think, and, and Eric Name and I have talked about this a lot. You know, you, you put it, put together enough talented offensive players who are dynamic and can do different things with the ball and attack and and score in different ways. They they usually figure out a way. And and you know, again, you can usually find ways to to put the correct kind of pieces around them. Clearly, the Bucks tried to do that this summer um, by you know, again, Matthew Delvadova, not a world beater by any stretch, but a guy who can knock down open threes and play defense. That's pretty much the job description that you need to to play or, or defend point guards with Giannis on the court. So, um, so yeah, I think they can they can certainly make Jabari fit. I think if uh, um, you know, I think there were issues with with maybe Jabari and Greg Monroe. But to be honest, you know, nobody really wants to. I mean, you can tell this by the Greg Monroe trade market. Nobody wants to start a, def- a non defensive center at this point. Um, so that's probably more of a Greg Monroe problem than a Jabari problem. Um, but uh, we'll see. So I think the Bucks, you know, again, they seem to want to get to more of a kind of rim rolling, athletic rim protector type center. Whether that's John Henson or Miles Plumley, we don't know. But hopefully, it might be one of them or the two headed monster. And I think then those other kind of key pieces around them, uh, a shooter at the point. I think all those guys can work together, and I think Jabari can make it work. So yes, the Bucks fans, uh, we think the Bucks can can make Jabari fit. Um, John Leonard asks, what is a Bucks bench going to look like? Great two years ago, poor last year. How would MCW, Mirza, and Moose in that unit look? And before I kick it to you, Dan, 
I'll just kind of note a thing that I think gets lost a lot in the the Bucks bench success from a couple years back. And you know, we talk a lot about how the Bucks bench was so good in the forty-one win season, but it was really a tale of two halves. And in the first half of the season, they were really good, and in the second half of the season, they were terrible. All right, after the MCW trade. You know, the, the starting lineup with MCW, I think, was like plus six or seven points per 100. Um, MCW lineups were good, you know, certainly actually, and ironically, were much better than than Brandon Knight lineups on the before he was traded. Um, but the bench was a lot worse. And I think people forget that at the beginning of that season in November, December, um, for a big stretch there, you had. Giannis coming off the bench, you had Ersan Eliasova coming off the bench, you had Zaza Pachulia coming off the bench, um, you know, you had all these kind of talented players, you know, John Henson was coming off the bench, you had all these talented guys who, um, in a number of cases, were eventually then later in the year starting and were part of that good starting five, you know, Giannis, Henson, or Giannis, Ersan, and uh, Zaza were actually coming off the bench, so I think it was kind of, of course, their their bench was going to be pretty good when you had all those guys uh, coming off the bench who, who then later were starting. Um, Last year was bad, and then this year I think it's an interesting question. You know, I think uh, John kind of hit it, MCW, Merzon, and Moose. If those guys are, are all in the second unit, then I think you can start to see you know, something that could work. Um, you know, not that Toledovich and, and Monroe are <laughs> going to be a great defensive combination at, at the 4-5, but uh, I think you can probably start to shuttle around pieces. And you know, we talked a lot about you, you have to have one, at least one of Chris Jabari and Giannis on the court at all times. You, you know, if you have three of those guys, there's no reason that you should have all bench units or whatever uh, going. So I think the the big thing for the bench is, you know, can you find the right balance? And um, certainly, if you bring MCW and Moose off the bench, that that increases your depth, and I think probably makes the starters look you know look a bit better. But again, as we seemingly always say with these questions, what exactly happens with Moose? But I don't know, Dan. I just talked for a while on on that topic. Do you have anything to add? What What do you think about the Bucks bench? Do you think it's going to be a deep unit, a, a unit that's going to be an asset this year, or do you think it's going to be a, a, another kind of weak point as we saw last year? I think the the bench is going to depart in a pretty significant fashion from what we've sort of grown used to in the past couple of years where there are um, times where it seems like most of the Bucks' success is derived from their bench in terms of their bench level of play being so much better than opposing teams' benches. Obviously, the Bucks don't have the star power that a lot of other top teams in the NBA have, but for, for so long they had these bench guys who just seemed to, to produce so well and so consistently. Players like Jared Bayless, who um, you know played pretty well, uh, going back further, guys like Zaza Pachulia when he was coming off the bench, who just really like outperformed their counterparts uh, who were making up second units of other teams. I think that's unlikely to continue this this year. I think whatever success the Bucks are able to find this coming season is going to be on the back of Jabari Parker, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Adekunbo. Like If those guys aren't the ones who are winning you most of your games, I think you're not winning a whole lot of games. Um, there's obviously sort of still some moving pieces, like you were saying, you know, what exactly happens with Greg Monroe? Does MCW actually come off the bench or does he stick in the starting lineup? That sort of changes around um, your personnel in terms of other places, um, whether Dela Vidova comes, comes off the bench and just sort of becomes a, a, um, a spot defender when he's needed. Um, but I think the bench in as a whole is not going to be the strongest unit Um it, it also sort of depends on what happens uh, in terms of other signings that the Bucks may make. Um, they have sort of filled out their depth pretty substantially at most positions. It's not totally clear who's going to 
um, be uh, taking all the backup positions on the wings, but um, but that'll presumably get sorted out relatively soon. Um, so it, it, I don't I don't see this bench as a particularly strong point of the team. Um, that's not necessarily a bad sign because it's just a reflection of the fact that the team is becoming more uh, centered around this core trio of guys. As you know, every team needs to be eventually. You, you get you get most of your wins from your top players, and the Bucks are clearly steering themselves towards uh, uh, putting those three guys in position to be the ones driving the success of this team. I think if you look at it, are are you going to get, you know, plus production uh, even from a, a bench unit perspective from guys like Tyler Ennis, Rashad Vaughn, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, kind of the list goes on, especially in the backcourt where they don't have much depth. And again, I know many of us like different guys to different extents, but I think asking any of those guys to be big contributors next year is is a big question mark and and hopefully one of those guys at least will step up and and uh you know be hopefully a, a good bench contributor but again as we saw last year you know young players can be really really bad and <laughs> detrimental uh and and clearly that that we saw that last year with with some of the really young line especially towards the end of the season um so it's speaking of you know the the, the core trio benjamin thomas asked this is a fun one and um it's especially fitting that I have you on uh, while when we do this question, Dan, because I don't know if how many people remember this, um, but if I recall correctly, your you you started your kind of writing career on a on your own uh, buck site that you named where fifty five happens uh, shortly after the the Brandon Jennings explosion for fifty five points. So this question will ring true to you because Benjamin asks, "Are you more excited for our current crop?" than you were for the Jennings Boga combo. And he adds in parentheses, be honest, that duo had endless potential. So Dan, I'll I'll stick it to you first as as a stick you'll stick it to I'll me stick first. it to you at first. Or as a as a early adopter and early uh you know Brandon Jennings uh fan, uh, how do you compare sort of your your fandom and, and your excitement for this current crop? Uh, compared to to the 2009 team, especially, and I guess we should also note that that we're all seven years older now, so right. we we have seven more years of Bucks fandom, Bucks fan scars uh, to show for as well. Yeah, that's I mean that you say that jokingly as as uh, as it should be said, but it does does sort of matter in my case. I, I cannot uh, claim to have ever been as excited uh, about this this particular. Uh, iteration of the Bucks, uh, and, and that's not to say that uh, guys like Giannis, Jabari, and Milton don't make me really excited. I mean, Giannis is a guy who at times watching him play is is jaw-dropping. I mean, he, he's an incredibly fun player to watch, uh, has so much potential, and, and the team has a lot of guys that have a lot of potential. So not to suggest that this is not an exciting uh, team to look forward to with the Bucks, um, but I was, uh, I was full diving headfirst into Brandon Jennings uh, frenzy frenzied waters uh, of that team when uh, when he was just exploding onto the scene uh, early in his rookie season um, I uh, went as far as to spring for a, uh, a replica Brandon Jennings jersey which still hangs in my closet as a sad reminder of uh, of times that were uh, much happier uh, before before the darkness set in um, and so, uh, I, if if I have to be honest, um, no, nothing has approached that brief window um, when all was well in the world, and we were sure that uh, Brandon Jennings 
and Andrew Bogut were going to carry us to the promised land, uh, and, and it would always be fun and exciting. Um, but, uh, as I said, I want to reiterate, uh, that does not mean I'm, I'm not very excited for what we're looking at right now, uh, but no one's dropped uh, 55 points since then, and uh, certainly not in such spectacular fashion. Yeah, I think the the weird part about the hype around that team, the 0910 team and and the Bogut Jennings combination specifically was how the half-life of hype around that team was was really short. Um and you know, Jennings just burst onto the scene. I mean, what was it in his 7th game or something? He scored the 55 points. I mean, mm-hmm. I still remember where I was yeah. the night that that happened. Uh and so it sets sort of this like bizarre, like, I mean, we almost were like, what the, I mean, I think, I think I wrote, you know, my think piece like the day or two after it was like, oh God, the, the, the Bucks just, uh, wait, do the Bucks now have a potential superstar on their hands? Like should, what, what is going on? Uh, it was just so unexpected. I mean, people thought he might be pretty good, but nothing like scoring 55 points in the first, you know, two weeks of your career in the NBA and his first month remains basically the best month of his career. And so it was weird because he had he kind of came out of nowhere and well not came out of nowhere again I don't want to uh, kind of make it sound like he was this unknown guy or anything but but we didn't expect that and so there was almost this shock factor from wait what how what how good is this guy um, and then he got worse and worse as the season went on I mean significantly dropped off from there and at the same token Bogut was looking awesome and really kind of fully bloomed into you know i mean sadly it was it was the best year of his career um and then he gets injured at in in april right with this horror horrific injury that you don't know how you know what's going to happen when he's trying to come back from it the following year so it was just sort of uh it was far more fleeting i think that it was almost like too shocking and and fast to even fully appreciate what they had um so i think it's kind of hard to even like for me to even go back and sort of think about what it was like because it all just seemed to kind of happen really quickly um but obviously the big difference with with that team was that they were winning games in the second half of that season in the way that the current version certainly has not um you know unless you want to count the 41 win season where you know jabari wasn't a part of that really uh but i'm i'm much more excited for this one even though i'm i'm older and uh and more jaded than i was then um I was pretty jaded then, I think, too, let's be honest. But uh, <laughs> but I think I'm more excited now just because you have three guys that I think you can generally be excited about. And I just think the hype around Jabari obviously was huge coming into the league. Um, the hype around Giannis was, was obviously very different and, and more of a sort of unknown thing. But his physical tools and sort of his gradual improvement has allowed us to kind of steadily get more and more excited about him. Whereas with, you know, Andrew Bogut, it was kind of like trying to rationalize him being okay, but not great for his first couple of years against the expectations of a first overall pick. Whereas Giannis being a number 15 pick has made it a lot more fun to sort of like see him just, ex- you know, surpass expectations and become this player that, you know, a lot of us thought like could happen, but probably wouldn't. So I, I'm definitely more excited. I think these guys have a much higher ceiling as a group um, than those guys did. And um, if you, we, you know, you, we can debate that, but um, I, I can't even like really remember. Almost. <laughs> it was so fast in terms of that, that group and, you know, the rise and fall of, of Brandon Jennings, basically, you know, 
he peaked in his first season. Literally, I mean, he peaked in his first month as a professional in 2009. And obviously, Brandon or, uh, Andrew Bogut peaked, unfortunately, in in probably the spring of, of 2010 before the terrible injury. So I, I would say we should be more excited about this group. They haven't necessarily had their breakthrough in terms of wins and losses, but hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll happen uh, sometime very soon. I think it is notable that we make this comparison at all, though. I mean, it's funny looking back at the at the Jennings sort of experience and Jennings Bogut experience and how how much that season and like what immediately followed it has colored so much of our analysis since then. I mean, in, in terms of how they went about team building after finding that unexpected success and to have so much of it blow up in their faces. And then we still sort of reference those kinds of moves. Uh, nowadays, uh, as you know, the Bucks have taken sort of a more methodical approach to building a team and taking it maybe a little bit slower, um, not jumping before they uh, are sure that they really have something worth building around. Um, so it's, I mean, it's it's really uh, sort of funny just to to realize how much that that season and and those those early months have affected the way we view everything since then. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is interesting because I think a lot of fans now. Um, you know, again, because that was seven years ago, that that colored a lot of a lot of fans' views of of the Bucks and you know whether to allow yourself to get excited because we really haven't. We, I mean, we haven't had any. You know, the, the fear of the deer season, I think, is is really since the t- two thousand one team. Um, it's difficult to think of another team that that really kind of reached those same heights. I mean, I think they were twenty two and eight to finish that season. You know, the 41 win team had a great little run, but but they certainly didn't get we're not as good as that team. And um, and, you know, certainly uh, neither team made it past the first round of the playoffs. But um, I think the the 2009 team, I think at least had a well, they also had a better excuse, right, because they didn't have Bogut um, mm-hmm. in, in that spring of 2010. But anyway, unfortunately, you, you just hope that uh, those sorts of unforeseen circumstances, you know, aren't going to we won't be talking about those with this this uh, this core down the road. So um, speaking of kind of franchise building and, and building around the core guys, um, we'll do one more question and then cut this one off, make it a quick one. Um, Straight Margarine asks, is Henson underrated trade bait? Everyone talks Monroe, but dot, dot, dot. Um, and I think this is an interesting question because I think, you know, certainly locking up Miles Plumlee on a four year, fifty two million dollar deal, I think. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, I don't think you're trading Miles Plumley easily at at four years and fifty two million. And so, if you're going to make a trade, uh, I think Henson's kind of a much clearer asset, considering he's uh, a few years younger and he's also going to be uh, on a more attractive contract moving forward. So, I think I think it's an interesting question. I think you know, trading Henson was was something that was could have happened potentially even last year, although it would have been maybe a little more difficult because uh, his extension hadn't kicked in. But uh, I don't know, Dan, I mean, what, what's your view? I mean, should the Bucks be actively shopping John Henson? Do you think that he's a guy that uh, could be moved in, let's say, between now and the trade deadline? Or do you think that you know Greg Monroe is probably the guy to go and, and Henson and, and Plumlee get their kind of shot to be the, the two-headed monster in the middle? I think uh, some of the stuff that you were talking about earlier about what the Bucks are looking for out of their center position in light of the other players that they have and sort of how they're they're building their roster at this point really lends itself to thinking that Greg Monroe is going to be the guy to go. And it certainly aligns with what we've heard, you know, out of all the media uh, for over the last couple of weeks, which is just reiterating over and over again, like, hey, guys, uh, anybody interested in Greg Monroe, give us a call because because uh, he's he's totally available. Um, and so in that, in that sort of sense, everything sort of lines up to thinking that Greg Monroe is going to be the guy to go. Um, I think 
the idea of looking at Henson as trade bait is interesting because it's, um, you know, sort of leveraging this guy um, who is still a, a bit of an unknown in terms of what would happen if he was given a, a more of an opportunity that has been afforded so far. I mean, in his in his four year career at this point, um, only one season has he averaged more than 20 minutes a game. Um, he's still very much a, a situational guy um, because of any number of particular drawbacks who, who hasn't uh, been afforded a chance to really play a ton of minutes. Um, but he has, you know, not featured on the team, but he's been a somewhat important piece to the Bucks at times uh, over his career, um, just because you sort of know what you're getting out of him um, in terms of his his per minute production, which is uh, in a lot of sense uh, or in a lot of uh, cases pretty pretty incredible stuff. I mean, um, nothing as as good as what he did his rookie season when his numbers were just off the charts in terms of rebounding, um, but his shot blocking has obviously become a, a, a really you know, well-known trait, um, something that every team uh, knows and, and scouts, you know, when Henson's in the game, watch out because he's, he's the shot blocker. Um, whether they can sort of leverage that, uh, that per minute uh, production, um, which is something that teams are obviously much more aware of at this point. No one is, no teams are, are so, um, so short-sighted as to think that just because a guy isn't putting up big per game stats because he's not playing that much, that he's some sort of worthless player. Um, teams are smarter than that at this point. And so it's not like uh, people are going to be completely unaware of what Henson can do, um, but it's certainly not as evident. And that, you know, seems to naturally make it more difficult to really showcase him um, in, in a way that you're going to be able to get a ton of value out of him. Um, but at the same time, we talk about sort of, um, what could be as a positive aspect for a lot of other guys. And so maybe that's a, a point in, in Henson's favor in a way that Greg Monroe has sort of um, become somewhat damaged goods. I mean, people have seen him in situations where he doesn't work out great, uh, whether that's next to Andre Drummond back in Detroit or uh, in a very defensively challenged lineup here in Milwaukee. Um, and, it, and, and so in that sense, uh, Henson is a guy that maybe aligns a little bit more with what a lot of teams are looking for in their uh, in their center position, um, even if it is just as a backup or sort of a spot minute guy. Um, but it, I think it really comes down to what a team is willing to give up for him. And right now, it doesn't seem like any team is really jumping at, at the uh, at the chance to to go after any of these guys. Yeah, I think the thing with Henson is. I- I, you know, again, and, and I've referenced it even going back to, to last year, some of the podcasts we had, I would be happy for them to, you know, and again, you're, you're not winning a championship with this group necessarily in John Henson and Miles Plumlee spitting minutes at the center position. I, I acknowledge that they have limitations, um, but I, I kind of want to just see the two of them be, you know, split the minutes down the middle. Whoever is playing better, get start and get more minutes and for, you know, once in our five year, almost, you know, going on five years now with John Henson or whatever it is, let's just figure out if he's actually good. You know, I'm I, he's one of these maddening guys where we spent so much time trying to figure out how he's going to fit into this. How good can he be? Was it first was a question. Can he always you know, he going to beat out Larry Sanders for the starting center spot? No. OK, fine. Larry Sanders was pretty good there for for, for a year uh, before things went horribly wrong. OK, well, uh, well, I mean, surely he's going to beat Zaza, right? 
No, doesn't beat out Zaza for the starting spot. Then last year, uh, we have all these, you know, Greg Monroe comes back. Okay, fine. John Henson, you're the backup, right? Okay. Things don't go great with Miles, with John, with uh, Greg Monroe. And suddenly Miles Plumley then comes in. John Henson gets hurt. Miles Plumley basically makes a really good case for why he should be either a situational starter or, or you know, the kind of key backup behind, behind whoever is starting. So it's just been a really frustrating ride. As you mentioned, looking at Henson's stats is a bit depressing because he started off being, you know, this phenomenal rebounder and you know, all these other things, you know, and then the kind of stuff just sort of like what got worse and worse over the years. And I think the shot blocking obviously has been a huge strength. And I think that, you know, as you were saying, I think, you know, guys who block shots and protect the rim or at least are perceived to do so very well always have some value, especially I think at his contract, the declining contract. I think he'll be movable, especially given that he's you know going to be in his prime for the next few years. Um, but it's just frustrating, you know, and you just kind of wish that that he could actually prove it on the court in Milwaukee that that he's a guy that not only deserved that contract, but it deserved uh, the chance to play, you know, higher leverage minutes um, and and didn't just you know kind of lose out to whichever random guy showed up and and you know competed with him for either you know starter or backup minutes. So I, I think it would not shock me at all if, if John Henson is is traded before this deadline. I think it's you know fair to wonder if if you know Monroe, for instance, like is back and plays well or whatever. Like would they consider trading John Henson instead? You know we we in our last podcast talked about why they would not trade Jabari or Chris Middleton because of the difficulties of trading Monroe. But I think Henson's a bit different because he's not a core piece in the same way, obviously, that Giannis, Jabari, and Chris are. So, you know, even if you think Greg Monroe is is leaving in a year, I don't know. It wouldn't shock me if they traded John Henson, especially with Thon Maker around. You know, we haven't really talked about him much. I don't think Thon is, you know, going to be, you know, holding down the the set you know the 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 anchoring a defense in the next year uh given where he is physically but i think longer term you know if you're a 7-1 guy who's a good athlete and you you know let's say he gets up to 230 235 i think you gotta be able to get some center minutes out of a guy like that and obviously that raises the question of of how he fits in with with miles and and john that's also why i thought you know a shorter term deal for for miles probably made more sense um because in the meantime you know i think thon certainly is is looking a lot more like he's going to be uh, a you know kind of sparsely used power forward behind you know Giannis slash Jabari and and Mirza Toledovic versus uh, a guy who plays maybe any regular center minutes, but probably depends a lot on injuries. So anyway, um, will be interesting to to watch. Um, I think certainly trading Greg Monroe would would make uh, everybody's life a lot easier and maybe answer my my long awaited question of whether John Henson is actually good. But uh, we will have to see. We've got couple more months of the offseason uh before before camp comes back and we and we figure out for sure and uh but i think if something's gonna happen it's probably gonna be sooner rather than later so anyway um we'll cut this one short uh appreciate all the questions i think i got about 50 questions on twitter tonight you know in the 15 minutes after asking if anybody wanted us to talk about anything so apologies to everybody who asked uh, some really good questions that we weren't able to get to we'll have more uh more podcasts this week maybe we'll be able to get to them but uh really appreciate everybody listening and uh, obviously feel free to always shoot us an email at brewhoop at gmail or uh or a tweet and uh, uh for dan dan thank you for joining me hopefully uh, we'll do it again soon Absolutely. Uh, good to be here and uh, good to talk bucks and get out of the uh, law library for a little bit. <laughs> very good indeed. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you very soon. 
Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17